Jiminy Crickets. Jiminy Cricket is the name. I'm a happy-go-lucky fellow. Always getting in wrong for singing my song. A merry old soul am I. Jiminy Cricket is the name. I'll be hanging around this evening. I'll be tipping my hat and telling you that Jiminy Cricket is the name. Hello, Cricketeers, and welcome back to Dateline Jiminy Crickets. This week, we have a very special Valentine's Day themed top 10 list and the Disney news. How are you doing, Ruthie? I'm doing great, and I'm feeling so loved. How about you? <laughs> I feel Twitter pated. <laughs> <laughs> so we are originally airing this on Valentine's Eve. So we thought it would be a good idea to do something Valentine's Day related, which we will do in just a, a moment. But first, we have a very special announcement. Jiminy Crickets Live proudly endorses Concierge Vacation Planners, a Disney-authorized specialty vacation planning service. Concierge doesn't just book your trip, they walk you through the entire process, helping you plan out every detail, one-on-one, -on -one, to make the very most out of your vacation while saving you both time and money. And the best part is, they charge nothing for their services. You will get the exact same pricing as if you booked your vacation directly through Disney. But in using Concierge's expertise, you've got the added bonus of having your very own personal Disney Guru Planner by your side. Both Ruthie and I are also satisfied customers, and we just can't recommend them enough. Visit their website at www.concierge.com. That's www.concierz.com, as in mouse ears. So when you book your next Disney vacation, be it Walt Disney World, Disneyland, the Disney Cruise Line, or many of the other Disney destinations available worldwide, contact Concierge Vacation Planners, and be sure to tell them Disney Chris sent you. Well, for our special Valentine's Day themed top 10, we're not just giving you 10, but we're giving you 20. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a special top 20 because the topic that we chose, we just couldn't narrow it down to 10. So... We decided to do 20, and also, unlike past lists, these are sort of, we, Ruthie and I kind of came up with the list together, so they're kind of both of our choices on all of them. This is 
Ruthie and Chris's top 20. Not, this is mine, this is Ruthie's. They're all both of ours. <laughs> if that makes any sense. So let's get started, Ruthie, on our very romantic topic. Yes. So as you can see, we are going to be doing the top 20 Disney animated couples. Again, we had to limit it because we started getting to into Eglantine Price and Mr. Brown and <laughs> it just got crazy after a while. It's like Tom and Mary from Babes in Toyland. So we had to like say, okay, only animated, no Pixar, we'll be here all night. Right. So <laughs> this is just <laughs> this is just the um, Disney animated with one sort of one of them were sort of pushing it a little bit. It's still technically animated, so we included it. And you'll know what we're talking about when we get to it. So, do you want to name the first one, Ruthie? Alrighty. So, our first animated couple is Mulan and Shang. And we're mentioning them here because they're a great couple. And I personally like the fact that Shang supports Mulan and they fight together. They fight the bad guy together. I mean, you know, when a couple is fighting the bad guy together, you know they're going to be together forever. So that's kind of where we wanted to honor their relationship and the way that they um, come together at the end and just are ready to, you know, continue their relationship beyond the end of the movie. Do you have anything uh, to whole, say about the that? Whole, the whole time you've been talking, all it's in my head is, let's get down to oh, business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can think of right now. Well, that's so, what they do. Defeat the Huns. <laughs> yes, exactly. Together. Yes. <laughs> A girl worth fighting for. <laughs> I love the songs from this. Yeah. And I, I really... I've, I, I love how... He doesn't even know like they're they're they become friends before they become lovers because yeah. he doesn't know that she's a female mm -hmm. he just thinks of her as one of the guys yeah. but he really develops a friendship a kinship before they become romantically involved which is kind of different for a disney film yeah. and i like that dynamic i do too so our next entry, number 19, is Meg and Hercules. And this is sort of a different type of relationship, too, than the average Disney couple, because Meg is actually plotting against Hercules because mm -hmm. she's sort of enslaved by Hades and has to sort of do his bidding. So against her will she's forced to help Hades defeat Hercules and it's it's a little bit more involved than the normal boy meets girl girl, girl meets boy love story so it makes it more interesting and yeah. also I just love her she Meg is just one of those characters that you even though it's about Hercules, you leave the movie thinking, like, she steals this movie. Well, her, her and Hades yeah. Yeah, steal definitely. the movie. I just love her attitude, her the, the way she rolls her eyes, and mm -hmm. she's just such a 90s 
woman. Like, that yeah. just makes me... Whenever I see her, I just think that's how women really were in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. You know? Self-assured, yeah, didn't put up with... Of, this couple is a definition of it's complicated. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what I was going to say is she's self-assured, doesn't need a man, mm -hmm. yep. doesn't take a man's nonsense, rolls her eyes at you know, the goings-on on the other side of the gender equation, and she's just, uh, you know, she's the type of gal I could be a good friend with, I feel. Mm -hmm. You know, I relate yeah. to her. She sort of reminds me of Ruthie. <laughs> <laughs> she just doesn't put up with nonsense. Aww. Well, I, I mean, that's a good... I appreciate that, because I do like Meg, too. Yeah. And she's she's tough, you know. She and is she tough. falls in love with Hercules in spite of what she Yeah, she tries wants not to. to. Right. She exactly. has a whole she does a whole song about not wanting to fall in love with him. Right. But she ends up I mean, he's Hercules, come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kinda hard to resist. Yeah. So who's our next entry or entries? Our next couple is the only inanimate object couple that we have on the list. Oh, and it's interesting. Johnny Fedora and Alice Blue Bonnet. Oh. So, aren't they so cute? This is yes. from uh, Make Mine Music. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm right, right? <laughs> right, 1946, yes. Yep. So this little um, short that was part of that, um, you know, package film. And Andrew's the sisters. song that goes along with this is, is classic song. Yeah, the, the Andrews sisters. Story. Yeah, the Andrews sisters did two shorts for the package films. Do you remember what the other one was? Little Toot. Oh yeah, oh Little Toot, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so, this so we is wanted a... to recognize them. Yeah, well, part of the reason they're so high, they're high up, and we included them is because the song is just so memorable and just makes you think of valentine's day it's mm -hmm. just you know it's and it's just classic disney and it's also shows because disney did a lot of these types of things where they brought inanimate things to life like it reminds me of Susie, the little blue coop mm -hmm. and the little house oh i love the little house and and the one we just mentioned little toot where they mm -hmm. give personalities to inanimate objects and this unlike the first two is much more of the classic love story yeah yeah boy yeah. meets and I love girl how they find each other at the end boy meets girl boy loses girl boy finds girl they live yep. happily ever after yeah yep. and they, they tell them how they find each other ruthie at the end well they yeah. just end up on um a male and female's head who they are you know going the out horses. together so. the horses oh yeah that's right <laughs> yeah. Low and what do they say? Um, and he cut him to fit on his horse's ears. Da, da, da. Oh, he did without malice, for beside him was Alice. And they <laughs> lived on for years and years. And then they get all jazz. Remember how they get all jazzy at the end? You Johnny Fedoras, you Alice Blue Bonnets. Anyway. <laughs> cute song. Cute song. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it because it's so cute. 
Well, our next uh, couple is our first married couple. Yes. Right? Have the, the other three never got, well, maybe no. after the cartoon, but they got married in the movie. Well, tech, well, sort You're right. of. right, they did, yeah. They, they <laughs> stood outside the chapel <laughs> while yes, Roger and Anita... And looking at each other, or holding yeah. paws. Yeah, and here is their assortment of pups. This is Pongo and Perdita, of course, from 100, and One Dalmatians, 1961. For those who want to check it out, our 101st episode of our regular audio Jiminy Cricket show was all about this movie. So we went into great depth about the making of this film. Oh, yeah. But uh, one thing that stands out is how this couple is uh, sort of linked together by their tragic loss. And they sort of, it shows how strong their bond is by how they work together mm-hmm. to find their missing puppies. So they're a very strong couple devoted to each other. We had to include them. Yeah, the and they first were, are of a willing few... to leave their um, owners to go find their puppies. Right. This is mm-hmm. the first of a few non-human yes. characters we'll be talking about. So who's the next one on our list? The next one is a couple that is near and dear to my heart, Duchess and Thomas O'Malley. Now, this is one of my favorite animated films, and I just love this couple. Like, this is the the couple that you would never think would get together. What do they even have in common? But when, you know, Duchess and the kittens are lost, Thomas O'Malley steps up out of the goodness of his heart and he helps them and he even fights against Edgar for them. So he just instantly, when he sees them, he just gets goes into protective mode and then and he's there for them the rest of the film. And I love Thomas O'Malley. I love that character. And I love at the end when they take the little family picture and he has a bow tie on. Oh, I just love this couple. (laughs) He cleans up well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, he's sort of... uh, The the reason he gets involved in the first place is because he sort of has the hots for Duchess. Right. Then when he finds out she has kids, he's sort of reluctant. But then he sort of, his heart gets the best of him and sees that they, they're not going to survive without getting back home. So he does the noble thing and helps them get back home. And in doing so, he ends up falling in love with her kids as well. Mm-hmm. So yep. they Yeah, because he bond. has the street smarts that they don't have. And that's what right. they need in order to get back home. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> So our next couple is Robin Hood and Maid Marian from the movie No Deposit, No Return. <laughs> no, from the movie Robin Hood. Right. <laughs> so this was a classic uh, animated film that came out the very year I was born, 1973. Remember when we did our 1973 review on my birthday? I remember, yes. That was fun. <laughs> So this is the classic, you know, ma- uh, what do they call Mamzelle? Uh, Mademoiselle. In distress. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Damsel. he's like, 
damsel in distress. Why couldn't I think of that? I don't know. And he's the he's the swashbuckling noble hero of old classic lore. Um, Maid Marian is, is just sort of... They don't go into a lot of why they're in love. There's a whole backstory that's sort of hinted at in the movie. They have a, they have a history that's not really gotten into in, this, in the books. It's much more spelled out. You, you know the whole story. And they were going to do a little bit more um, about their backstory. There was a whole scene cut out from the film where Robin Hood was going to sing a verse of the song Love. And they were going to show a flashback of their relationship during the song. They ended up cutting out that song and they only have what originally was going to be a reprise of Love. The second time they sang it in the movie, would, when Maid Marian sang it, but originally there was supposed to be two, two times that they had that song in the movie, so that's interesting. But yeah. just, I just always loved their relationship because it's just sort of the heroic figure, the damsel in distress, just that classic Hollywood type story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, they're cute. Who's next? Our next couple is Tiana and Prince Naveen from the A Princess and a, the Frogs. I'm not saying that right, but... <laughs> a Princess and the Frogs? A Princess yeah. and the Frogs. Yeah. There, <laughs> there were multiple frogs. <laughs> <laughs> that hussy. <laughs> Cheating um, on Naveen. Yeah. <laughs> so we were just talking before we started um, recording this episode that... Chris was having a hard time finding an image for them because the majority of the movie they spend as frogs. So Right. All the, so, the images of them together that were good, that looked good, were not from the movie. Like, they were fan art or paintings no. done after. So I wanted a shot from the actual movie. And there were a few of them, like, building the, the nightclub at the end. But she, but she looked like she's wearing work clothes. And right, yeah. I wanted her to look like a princess. So I finally found this image. I went through a couple before. We were going to use a different image before mm -hmm. I picked this one. But why do you feel they belong on our list, Ruthie? I mean, I just think that they're a great couple. I mean, the way that they, you know, the way that they meet and the, the how the story unfolds as you know they're they're frogs they're trying to turn back into people and and how they you know connect while they're doing they're trying to do that and the you know the things that they encounter well, Dr. Facilier. The other thing is she has no romantic interests at all. She's she's got her set goal. Right. She doesn't want to deal with romance, and she ends up falling in love despite herself. Mm -hmm. Sort of, uh, uh, what's the name of the the old lady that lived in the swamp that sort of, she said... Oh, Mama Odie? Mama Odie said she thinks she knows what she needs, but she really doesn't. And that was part of her whole song that she sang was about that. So, our next couple is one of my favorites. Bernard and Bianca, they were actually in two movies together, The Rescuers, 
and the rescuers down under. So they were a couple that lasted. Yeah. Quite, you know, they their relationship stayed. And he actually proposed to her at the end of... Well, he tried to propose to her earlier in the movie, but <laughs> at the end of The Rescuers Down Under, they get engaged. So, But I always... One thing I always liked about them is when you would see them walking around Disneyland together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Th- when they used to still show them in Disneyland. <laughs> but yeah. In the and 70s? I, <laughs> and early 80s, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, one thing I like is, sh- is she sort of seduces him. He's a willing yeah. seductee, but she's just as interested in him as, as uh, he is in her. But mm-hmm. he sort of feels like he's not good enough for her, but she feels quite right. differently. In fact, she sort of arranges it so that they do the their case together mm-hmm. to find Penny. Because she has sort of a feeling he might be Mr. Right. So he, she arranges it so that they, they work together. And that's mm-hmm. when they form their bond. Yeah, one thing I like about them is... So Bianca has kind of like a adventurous spirit and Bernard is willing to just go along on her adventures with her and and he helps them, you know, in in the different situations that they end up in. And yeah. I love that he's so supportive of he's her. He's very superstitious and mm-hmm. he's got a lot of hang-ups about, you know, he's not as brave as she is, right. but he she sort of encourages him to be a braver person and to take risks. Mm-hmm. And I like that too. I like that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that our one of our animated characters was a little bit of a stretch. But anyway, who are they, Ruthie? Jack and Sally from The Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. So they are animated, just not cartoon animated. <laughs> right. So um, this is, I mean, I think Jack and Sally is just such a great couple. And how they end up together is just perfect. You know, in the in the beginning, Jack's just not in the mindset, and Sally is, you know, kind of longingly watch him, watching him as he goes down his rabbit hole of, uh, you know, a situation that he ends up in. And she even predicts she's, that something is gonna, something bad is gonna happen to him. And in a roundabout way, that. in a roundabout way, she sort of served during certain parts of the movie she sort of serves the function of the greek chorus right because she's sort of singing about him and how he's making mistakes and doing Mm -hmm. going about things the wrong way and he's too wrapped up in his own mind to a notice her at all right and b to even think that what he's doing there's anything wrong with what he's doing Mm-hmm. But eventually he comes to his senses and everyone sort of abandons him and she's there. She's still there, yeah. To, you know, so she's devoted to him. And she loves him not because he's the king of, you know, right. or because he's, you know, the leader of all of Halloween Town. She loves him for what's inside. So mm-hmm. it's a great. And they're truly story. meant to be. Yes. <laughs> So next is one of my favorite of the more recent couples, Flynn Rider and Rapunzel. And what I like about them is they seem so real. They're they're 
Like, mm-hmm. when we talk about some of the earlier Prince and Princess stories, they're very two-dimensional. These characters, as all the characters in this film, are very well-rounded characters. And it's like, I, not so much Rapunzel, but especially Flynn Rider, he really mm-hmm. has, like, we know people like him. He's yeah. the typical, you know, jock who thinks he knows everything, but he has a good heart. He's not a mm-hmm. bad person. He's just a little self-absorbed. But when he meets the right woman, he learns to let go of some of those more selfish things and learns to care about someone else. I mean, that's a story happening every day around the whole world. So that's very real. And um, their relationship just seems so genuine and real to me. And I could see a couple like that really falling in love. It's not as two-dimensional. Not that I'm putting down the earlier Disney cartoons. I'm just saying this one really, for me, felt like I I had a good feeling about this couple. And I felt, you know what I mean? Yeah, because you get like a deeper insight into them as individuals and also as a couple so yeah i totally agree with you yeah so who's next (laughs) our next couple is simba and nala from the lion king and this couple is kind of unique because they actually grow up together they're little you know they're they know each other from you know different um mothers in the tribes they are you know they're born to and then they grow up together when they're young then when Simba leaves you know they lose um, connection but she's the one who actually finds him in the jungle and brings him back and so this is like a really good couple that you know she knows that he's willing to help and she talks him into it even though he is very hesitant to come back because you know he thinks things that are incorrect but, you know, we definitely re- want to recognize Simba and Nala as being, like, a good couple of um, characters that, that really, you know, tie the story together in The Lion King. Timon and Pumbaa aren't too thrilled about it. Right. But they get over <laughs> that. Yeah. So, our next, we're getting into the top ten here. Yeah. And our next couple is a classic Disney couple. Lady and Tramp from Lady and the Tramp. (laughs) And, um, I mean, just if you look at, if you're watching this, not listening to it, just looking at this image, which is the spaghetti eating image, that you don't have to say anything else. This is probably one of the most iconic moments, not just of any Disney movie, but of any movie ever. Mm-hmm. And certainly one of the most iconic romantic scenes of any film ever. Definitely. Um, you know, this is the story of the dog from the other side of the tracks and the socialite who have nothing in common, just like the Aristocat, sort of. Mm-hmm. They have nothing in common, but they just end up falling in love because opposites attract. <laughs> yep. Who hasn't just wanted like, to eat one just, long piece of spaghetti with your partner, okay? To quote Paula Abdul, opposites attract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect timing, Ruthie. I know, right? Because the song that's playing right now is <laughs> just happens to perfectly line up with what we're, our next couple is. Yep. 
This is Aladdin and Jasmine from the movie Aladdin. Aladdin is my favorite Renaissance film. I love Me Aladdin. Me too. Yeah. And I love how they get they connect. Even though right here he's technically Prince Ali and she thinks that he's not Although she does suspect that he might be Aladdin that she, when she met him in the marketplace. I always thought she knew the whole time. You Nobody, think she knew it the whole time? I thought she knew the whole time. Nobody was fooling her. She was just playing yeah. along to yeah. to appease him. Yeah, yeah, she knew it. Yeah. <laughs> so here, this is the image of them riding on the carpet. But yeah. um, I just love how they're just the a, an unusual couple as well. Because, you know, Princess Jasmine is basically trying to reject all of the um, ideas that are put upon her just by being a princess. And Aladdin helps her do that. Yeah. And um, when he does reveal himself to be Aladdin, the, you know, the beggar in the marketplace, she does not turn away from him because of that. She, yeah. It's almost like they have more of a connection because of that. So I really like that she's willing to look beyond, you know, the outside appearance and look inside on at his heart the diamond in the rough yep <laughs> well, more than what you seem <laughs> well our next couple we're getting into the classics here we just talked about this film in our last episode of our jiminy crickets audio show this is prince philip and aurora from sleeping beauty 1959 the last of the classic prince and princess stories from Walt Disney's lifetime. I would have to say probably the most beautiful couple from Walt Disney's lifetime. Yeah. They sort of like tried to make both of them, the prince and the princess, look very attractive. Yeah. So, um, I mean... Again, this isn't... We don't get as much of a rounded character as with Flynn Rider and Rapunzel. Right. Mm -hmm. But what makes them higher up on the list is first, they're just a classic Disney couple. Right. Just the Just the fact they're from the movie they're in puts them high on the list. And second of all, just the visuals. Just the iconic visuals from... I mean, the scene you're looking at here where she's kissing her to to awaken her the scene where they're dancing at the end the scene where they're hand in hand and just you know he risks his life to to find her not a lot of the um the romantic figures there are a few that we've mentioned but very few put their life on the line to mm -hmm. save their damsel in distress as it were so that's why they're they're higher up on the list but uh speaking of iconic couples who is our next entry ruthie our next entry is ariel and Pris prince eric <laughs> so <laughs> all right is, was that a descriptive of his yeah. personality or <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay <laughs> that was a tongue-tied moment there oh but... <laughs> not a freudian slip no, no. <laughs> so, this couple, you know, Ariel loves... Oh my gosh, wait a minute. Listen to the song. 
Like the music is lining up it's with these pictures. Up, up. This is not planned. <laughs> this was not at all planned. <laughs> so Ariel sees Prince Eric at the beginning of the film when she's a mermaid, and you know she actually saves him during a shipwreck, and she basically there it's a love at first sight for him for her. Yeah. And so well, she's then, never seen a human male, let alone a handsome human male before. Right. Right. So the rest of the movie is her trying to, you know, make him note. Yeah. When his heart make him notice her and, you know, and the things that she does for him is a a huge sacrifices. She sacrifices her voice, which she is known for under the sea. So, you know, it's, it's just a, you know, what what people do for love. It makes it nearly impossible for her to get him to fall in love with her because he can't communicate with her. Right. And but she, that, that doesn't stop her. It doesn't stop her. And also Ursula sort of gave her a catch-22 with that because she yeah. sort of knew that, yeah, this isn't going to happen if I take her mm-hmm. voice away. So that yeah. was her She plot. overcomes it all and wins yep. her, uh, the love of her life. Yes. <laughs> So, our next couple, again, we're getting in the high figures here. Yep. This is one of the most iconic Disney couples of all time, Cinderella and Prince Charming. Interestingly, out of all the princes, even if they don't have a name in the movie, they are given names in other forms of media, like in books or other record albums or things about the same movie and same characters they are given names um prince philip had a name in the movie um but this is the only prince that just was never given a real name and he's just known as prince charming Mm -hmm. um the prince from snow white is also known as prince charming but he was given a name after the fact yeah so Cinderella really doesn't have a name either, if you think about it, because Cinderella was a nasty nickname that her stepmother and stepsisters gave her. They don't really play that out in the Disney version, but in the original story, she was called Cinderella because she was covered with cinders because they Mm -hmm. forced her to work in the ashes and clean the fireplace and whatnot. So these two really don't have real names (laughs) (laughs) technically uh maybe his name really is charming maybe (laughs) (laughs) but again i mean the so this is love segment which you're looking at in this image here at the ball and how they walk around in the moonlight over that bridge and that whole romantic scene from so this is love the you know when he picks up the glass slipper when they get married at the end with the bells ringing and they run down the steps into that carriage and and drive away which i should mention that's how robin hood ends too they copied the that scene for they reused that same (laughs) scene for robin hood so i mean just a classic romantic love story very two-dimensional but it's not all about well-rounded characters. Sometimes it's just about the overall feeling of the film itself and just the, the visuals that make mm-hmm. them highly rated. 
So One thing about this couple, though, I think that when they she first goes to the ball, I think part of what he's so attracted to when he sees her is her heart because she is a genuine person yeah. who really cares about you know people and doing the right thing. And even though it's not you know ex- you know explicitly expressed. I yeah. think that's part of the reason why he he's sees drawn to her. something different in her yeah. that the other noble women in the kingdom don't have. She's more right. innocent and just yep. real, and yeah, there's. Just I mean, she doesn't even know who he is, and everybody yeah. else is there to impress him. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't so. find out who he is until the end of the movie. Yep. So when yeah, he's. I think that's a good storyline there. So. Again, another iconic couple. Yes. This is one of my favorite couples as well. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I do really love Beauty and the Beast. And so this is obviously Belle and Prince Adam, known, yes. also known as the Beast. He does have a name. <laughs> he does. Unlike our previous candidate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And this, this story, I just, I mean, the way it starts, you would never think that Belle would fall in love with the Beast. But well, I knew. Because able... I, when well, I went to see it, I already knew the story. Oh, you already knew? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, if you didn't already know. And yeah. you just saw the way that he like holds her captive and things like that. You would never think that they were going to fall in love. But she is able to see that, you know, as he starts trying to be nice to her, of course, with the help of the objects in the castle, yeah. you know, she he opens up to her and shows him his true... Per, um, feelings and the true person that he is inside all under all of that fur and she is able to let him in and you know this is just such a great love story on how you know it's the connection is between the people that you are inside not the outside yeah and one thing i never liked the way he looked when he turned into the prince (laughs) so that's why i didn't use that as an image i just Mm -hmm. was never a fan of prince adam i prefer the beast and usually when they walk around in the park it's the beast it's the beast Mm -hmm. yeah because pretty much everyone prefers the. you would not recognize it if it was adam yeah it's like who's this dude yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so classic this is as classic as it gets this is the very first prince and princess. Uh, and again, this prince does have a name, but it is never mentioned in the movie. His name is Florian. And I have a funny story. I have a very good friend named Rose who I talk with every day on Twitter. She's just she's one of the very first per- people who followed me on Twitter. And we've been following each other every for years. We've been t- communicating every day. She's a really great friend. Anyway, she got a cat a few years ago. This really cute little white fur ball of a cat. And um, she thought it was a male. And so she named it after the prince from Snow White. She named it Aww. Florian. Come to find out about six or seven months later nope this is a girl (laughs) (laughs) so she just kept the name i think then i think the name could be used for either gender it sounds like one of those kind of names that would work for either gender 
but it's the no, most adorable cat. Anyway, getting back to the topic. Uh, again, two-dimensional. I think I think out of the three princesses during Walt's lifetime, Snow White had a little bit more of a character. She's a little bit more rounded as a character than the other two, mm-hmm. slightly mm-hmm. more. Uh, but he had nothing. Like he was like just a, he was just like there to to make the story work. He yeah, had no personality <laughs> at all. Yeah, he really doesn't have a personality. He's just sort of a placeholder you know and the other thing is they didn't want to animate him too much because they had a lot of trouble animating him they hadn't really reached the point where they were that confident in animating human characters snow white they got away with because she had her dress you know she had a flowing dress that covered her legs but him they had to show him walking and everything there's even a couple moments in the movie where he sort of glitches a little bit that they didn't end up fixing because the budget was just out of control over budget Mm -hmm. they just didn't have the time or money to fix it it's still in the movie to this day where he sort of glitches a little bit here and there Mm. but anyway again like the other two like sleeping beauty and cinderella it's not the characters themselves that put them so high on the list it's the iconic look of this movie just the whole feeling you get from this movie it's just disney at its finest and that's what makes them so high up on the list now go ahead i just don't think you would know what a princess is if we didn't have snow white because she's the first one Walt so Disney really defined Walt Disney really defined the modern perception at least in the United States of what a princess is. Yeah. The prince and princess and this movie is sort of what started it all. Yeah. That's why this couple is at number 3. So now we've got our top 2 and they're biggies. Yes. So who's uh number 2, Ruthie? Well, we cannot have a top 20 Disney couples without having Donald and Daisy on this list. And that's who we have, Donald and Daisy. Yeah. I mean, you as you watch Don, Donald shorts, you see their relationship develop. But I just love how Daisy doesn't put up with any of Donald's crap. I mean, she just keeps it real. Yeah. And she's not dealing with it. She's not even an ounce of it and I just love that because that really helps him to kind of you know keep going off the rails you know with her he knows he can't and so he just keeps you know he's able to keep it in check there's a few things that should be noted about Donald and Daisy they're like the opposite of Mickey and Minnie yeah Daisy is not a sweet little bubbly bundle of joy she is very um uh egotistical Mm -hmm. um she is into she's greedy she's into like (laughs) pampering herself she's very self-centered donald is has a hot temper Mm -hmm. he's you know easily upset self-centered he likes to you know uh, tease little animals. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> they're sort of rotten, both of them, yeah. and they're they're meant for each other. Yeah, that's the, true. The yeah. other thing about Daisy is that 
she's constantly challenging Donald to mm-hmm. keep his temper, you know, low. But she has a worse temper than he does. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. She keeps it hidden well, though. Yeah, in <laughs> fact, their first cartoon that she was ever in, she wasn't even named Daisy yet. It was called. It was like it took place in in I think Mexico or Spain. And she was like this woman up on the balcony. And all she did through the whole movie is scream at him in Spanish. And then she wouldn't go out with him unless he, because he came to pick her up with a burrow. She refused to go out with him unless he brought a car. (laughs) So he had to go find a car. And then when he had a car, she was all over him. Like she's, so she's very like superficial and into Mm -hmm. like, it's not about you know who's the best man it's about who has the best car and the best clothes and so she's sort of a piece of work yeah, but you, you know where you stand with her she is not hiding it right so oh no that's, she, you know she she keeps it real daisy keeps yeah, it real yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i guess i've already hinted and i guess i don't even have to say you probably already all know who the number one couple is and that would be uh, Pluto and Fifi. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should have included Pluto and Fifi. I guess so. We forgot about <laughs> them. Anyway, um, Mickey and Minnie Mouse, they're the first Disney romantic couple. Yeah. Um, well, I guess you could say Oswald and what's his girl's name? I don't even know. What's she, her name? I forget. Hort- Hortensia or something like that? Something like that. Something bizarre. But anyway, Mickey and Minnie, uh, they share a birthday. Um, They're the longest lasting couple in Hollywood history. Um, They've been dating since 1928. (laughs) They've never been married. (laughs) They've never been married. They're still just, you know, two crazy kids in love. (laughs) <laughs> and to me, the thing with Mickey and Minnie is they are ageless. Like, he may technically be 90 years old, but he I feel like they're always stuck at about 25. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're like a young couple in love around age 25. And it's like, to me, it reminds me of maybe how Walt and Lillian were when they yeah. were in their 20s. Mickey and Minnie are sort of Walt and Lillian, who were very happy couple. They were together for their whole, you know, until Walt died. They were devoted to each other. And um, Lillian was very shy and reserved, and Mickey was a little bit more out there. And, you know, so I feel like that was the inspiration for these characters. Um, Very rarely... Do you see Minnie get upset? But she can, once in a while, get upset. Mm -hmm. But unlike Daisy, she is like all that's sweet and nice. And she's just a sweet, kind, loving soul, as is Mickey. So it's like when you put those two couples together, it sort of works perfectly. Because you've got sort of the yin and yang of Mm -hmm. romance. So that, do you have anything to say about Mickey and Minnie? I mean, I love what you said about, you know, um, parallel with Walt and Lillian. That's just, uh, that touches my heart. So let's end on that. (laughs) All right. So that is our top 20 Disney animated couples. 
And now it's time for the Jiminy Crickets News. From the far corners of the earth, from across the seven seas, the news of the day for the leaders of tomorrow. The Mickey Mouse Newsreel, dedicated to you, the leaders of the 21st century. So, again, this is becoming a pattern, unfortunately. Not one that we want. Not one that we look forward to or want, but it seems like every episode we've done since we started doing Dateline... We've sort of started it off on the same foot, and it's not fun, and it's sad to have to do these uh, memorials, but I feel like these people deserve some recognition, and, and we would be remiss if we didn't do a tribute. And out of you know all of the people we've talked about, um, Don Lusk, Stan Lee, Ron Miller is probably the most significant as far as Disney history because he was basically running the show after Roy Disney died. Walt's brother Roy died from the 70s up until the early 80s. Ron Miller was keep was basically Disney. He was running the show. He made all the decisions. And the thing is, this is when I was growing up. This mm-hmm. was my childhood era of Disney, was the 70s and 80s, early 80s. So Ron Miller is really responsible for what made me fall in love with Disney in the first place. And he really doesn't get that m- Probably some of you watching this don't even know who he is, never heard yeah. of him. Because he was a very quiet and humble person. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't out to make a name for himself. And even so, he had a profound impact on the Walt Disney Company. And he's definitely worth talking about. Now, I almost just got choked up right now when I said how he was my childhood. And when I was reading the articles about him the other day, I didn't realize this was going to happen when I started reading the articles, but I got really emotionally upset. I had to grab a box of tissues. So you'll have to forgive me if during this little review of his life that we're gonna do right now, if I get a little emotional because it is emotional for me because he really produced some of my favorite Disney films and he did some of my things that are my favorite things about Disney mm-hmm. post Walt of course right so let's talk about Ron Miller who recently passed away how old was he Ruthie he was 85 he was 85 right so what articles did we look at for this Ruthie the ones that made me cry in other words <laughs> <laughs> We looked at four different articles. Um, The first one, Ron W. Miller, former Disney president and CEO, passes away at 85 by Matthew Soberman for WDW News Today from February 9th, 
The Walt Disney Family Museum mourns the loss of Ron Miller from the Walt Disney Family Museum blog on February 9th. A tribute to Ron Miller, 1933-2019 to by Shelley Valladolid for Mice Chat, February 9th. And Ron Miller dies, former Disney CEO and Walt Disney's son-in-law was 85 by Patrick Hypes for Deadline. That was from February 10th. Okay, so for those who don't know who he was, he was the spouse of Diane Disney Miller, who was originally Diane Disney. Um, she kept her, 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 she had the hyphenated thing, you know, that they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, if your name was Disney, I would <laughs> keep it too. Keep it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a picture of their wedding. They were married in 1954, just a year before Disneyland opened. Mm-hmm. And he was a football player at, was it USC or UCLA? Yep. US, US, USC. Um, he was a jock, but he wasn't like the typical jock. He was, you know, he wasn't an idiot. He, was, <laughs> <laughs> he, he you know, he had a good head on his shoulders. He was very nice humble and very devoted person um yeah and i think it's interesting that they actually met diane and ron met on a blind date yeah mm-hmm i thought that's really cool yeah and then they ended up falling in love and getting married and walt always loved ron he mm-hmm. had very warm affection for him he was very happy when they got married you can tell in this picture he was quite happy that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually it, heard a story that Diane said that on her wedding day, she looked over at Walt and she saw a tear in his eye. I think that's so sweet. Yeah. So anyway, originally he was, well, he he did some work during the construction of Disneyland. He was sort of a go, gopher. He would bring plans to and from the studio and Disneyland. So he got to see the park as it was being built. And um, he was waiting to be recruited into the Army. Eventually, he did serve in the Army. And when he finished, he became a professional football player for the L.A. Rams, I believe. Yes. And Walt Disney, and I'll let you read this quote. Okay. He only saw him play in two football games Walt Disney and at the one of them that he went to he got knocked the crud out of like he was like (laughs) on the ground yeah Yeah. and Walt walked up to him and uh, Ron Miller told the story and we have the quote here it's rather amusing you want to read that quote sure So I'll start from the beginning of the quote. So my father-in-law saw me play in two football games when I was with the L.A. Rams. In one of them, I caught a pass and Dick Night Train Lane let me have it from the rear. His forearm came across my nose and knocked me unconscious. I woke up about the third quarter. At the end of the season, Walt came up to me and said, you know, I don't want to be the father of your children. You're going to die out there. How about coming to work with me? <laughs> I did, and it was a wise decision on my part. And Ron made this quote to the entertainment reporter Dale Pollock in August of 1984. 
And so was the beginning of a long career with Disney. Mm-hmm. And he sort of started off doing smaller things. He worked on television projects uh, with Walt. And um, he. one of the interesting things he did was he... Uh, actually directed Walt himself during some of the opening segments of the wonderful world of color and that must have been nerve-wracking oh yeah to direct especially because Walt didn't even want to do it <laughs> yeah he had to tell him where to stand and be in charge of he probably got the job because nobody else wanted to do right. it. Nobody else wanted to tell Walt where to stand yeah, and what to do. He's your father-in-law. You do you it. You do it. Yeah. Right. So that led to other things. He worked on Zorro. He worked on Old Yeller. He was involved to a lesser degree in all those live-action films of the late 50s into the early 60s. And as time went by, he got more and more involved and moved higher and higher up in the ranks until he became assistant producer, then producer, and eventually he became executive producer on several movies and uh, several classic movies that we know and love. This picture you're looking at right here is actually Walt Disney's Firehouse Apartment. And you can see the family sitting around enjoying a cup of tea while Walt Disney has his slippers on. And he's just sort of definitely chilling out. He looks like he's exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) This next picture is a lot of fun because um, it's from a magazine article from the late 50s in which Diane wrote a story about her father. It was called My Father, Walt Disney. She eventually ended up turning it into a book. Um, And this is a photo that was attached to the original magazine article. And it's just sort of a rare look at Walt Disney at home, hanging out with his family. He's got his two grandkids. There's Sharon, his other daughter, and Diane, Lillian is holding, I think that's Christopher, yeah, I think his, his oldest grandson, yeah. yeah, and that's his dog, Lady, which we've talked about on this show before, yep. and of course the there's Ron, the weenies. <laughs> yes, she created the term weenie that he used for uh, things in his park that draw your attention, and there's Ron with the family, mm-hmm. so I just love this picture, I thought yeah. it would be fun to show so anyway as when walt disney passed away he started to really get into more and more and more productions um it started when walt was still alive he was associate producer for some of the live action screwball comedies starting with moon pilot and it's funny that he started with that because, to me, that's one of the worst movies Disney has ever produced. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's only two movies during Walt Disney's lifetime that were produced that I hate. And that just happens to be one of them. And the other one he had nothing to do with, so that's good. and he was only associate producer so he didn't have final say on anything so we can't blame him for that so it was sort of a rocky start 
But then he went on to some a little bit more fun stuff that I do enjoy, like Bon Voyage and Son of Flubber, both starring Fred McMurray. Mm-hmm. And he was associate producer of Summer Magic. And then he bumped up to producer for two movies starring Annette uh, the, and Tommy Kirk, The Misadventures of Merlin Jones and um, The Monkey's Uncle. And then he co-produced, which is a step up from producer, believe it or not. It goes associate producer, producer, co-producer, executive producer. I think that's the, the ranking order, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he co-produced That Darn Cat. Um, I mean, these are movies that are just classic Disney live-action films that we grew up on. Lieutenant Robin Crusoe USN with Dick Van Dyke. Uh, another Dick Van Dyke, Never a Dull Moment. That movie is hysterical. If you, if, Folks, if you haven't seen Never a Dull Moment, the title says it all. You should, <laughs> <laughs> you should see that movie. If you're a Dick Van Dyke fan especially. Another great one. Boatniks, which was just a complete farce, just a yeah. s- funny stuff. He did some of the uh, some movies with um, with um, what's his name, um, Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. He did Now You See Him, Now You Don't, and then he did Snowball Express, and that was with Dean Dean. Uh, oh, what's his? I can't think right now. Dean from the Love Bug. Dean Jones. Yeah, yeah Dean Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a blink there, too. <laughs> so the first film that he was the executive producer on was 1975. So see how he sort of moved up another notch after Roy Disney was gone? This was when he was starting to become at the level of near... He was becoming... Pre- he was soon to be president of the company... And the fir- in 75, he, pro- he was the executive producer of Escape to Witch Mountain. Um, and then he did others like No Deposit, No Return, which I mentioned earlier tonight. <laughs> uh, Gus, which is about a uh, donkey who played football. And <laughs> um, the Shaggy DA, which we mentioned the other day with Suzanne Plachette. Mm-hmm. Freaky Friday, and then the first animated film that he executive produced was The Rescuers, and he did a few others after that. Um, he did some of the Herbie sequels, Pete's Dragon, Candle Shoe. He did the um, sequel to Witch Mountain, Return from Witch Mountain, The Cat from Outer Space. We're talking about, these movies are like the movies I grew up on. These are my childhood here. Mm -hmm. I love all these movies, except for, except for Moon Pilot. Pilot, I love all these movies. (laughs) Uh, All these that you're naming now, it's like, this is Disney in the 70s. Yeah, this is, he was Disney in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, The Cat from Outer Space, The North Avenue Irregulars, which is a hilarious if you haven't seen that one see it immediately mm-hmm. um the apple dumpling gang rides again the black hole uh one of my um 
my um, secret favorites, Midnight Madness. <laughs> it's not a secret anymore, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I I just I just love that movie. It's not they don't Disney didn't even put their um their name on the movie, mm -hmm. so you might not even know it's a Disney movie, but it is. And when you watch it, you can tell it's a Disney movie. Mm -hmm. uh, the Last Flight of Noah's Ark. Herbie Goes Bananas, Condor Man, Tron, and then The Black Cauldron was the last thing he did, and that was probably the nail in his coffin because of all the controversy <laughs> around The Black Cauldron, but here is a picture of him during the production of The Black Cauldron. You can see some of the background and inspirational imagery behind him, and here are some of the movies we just talked about. I mean, just look at this. Just look at all mm -hmm. these wonderful movies that he was involved in. Yeah. I mean, not just involved in. He was in charge of the production of all these films. Mm -hmm. And yet, very few people even know who he is. Have right. ever even heard of him. Mm -hmm. This is the funniest picture I found. <laughs> this is Card Walker who was kind of involved in Imagineering and parks. And Ron Miller was sort of in charge of everything at this point, not just parks, but movies and everything. So Card Walker was, was sort of the head man in charge of all theme parks, and Ron Miller was the head man in charge of him and everything else. So that was mm -hmm. who he answered to. But this little creature in the center here Ruthie and I were talking about it earlier, and we think this is probably from the Tokyo Disneyland um, version of the Jungle Cruise, because this looks like around that time period when that would have been being built, and it looks exactly like the tiger in the other Jungle Cruise rides, so that's what I'm guessing. So, Ron Miller was heavily involved in Epcot, and... There would be no Epcot without Ron Miller, mm -hmm. and there would probably be no Tokyo Disneyland without Ron Miller. He was very much the spearhead behind those two theme park projects, probably two of the biggest theme park projects in the history of the Walt Disney Company. Um, so we're not talking about just some guy who was married to Walt Disney's daughter. He was pivotal yeah. to all of the, these goings on during that period mm -hmm. so some of the highlights in his career so he was elected the president of the walt, of walt disney productions in 1980 and in 1983 he became disney's ceo and he shepherded the company through the launch of the disney channel the establishment of Touchstone Pictures, which I think was a pet project for him because he really wanted to make an avenue where Disney could make movies that weren't just family-friendly movies. Right. So he his idea was to come up with Touchstone Pictures. And then, like we already mentioned, he was um, a key proponent of the development of Epcot Center and Tokyo Disney. So, I mean, these are things that people still obviously think about when you think of Disney. So yeah. really, you need to be thinking about Ron Miller when you think about these things. Yeah. So, unfortunately, 
Disney went through some hard times towards the end of his tenure, and I don't really think it was entirely his fault. I think part yeah. of the problem was society mm -hmm. had moved on, and he was trying to hold on to the classic family-friendly Disney, and society had gotten a little tired of it, and they didn't want to go see Herbie Goes Bananas. Mm -hmm. They wanted to go see Jaws or uh, Poltergeist at that point. Mm -hmm. So Disney was sort of failing at the box office. And then, a sort of, they were failing at the box office. They were tanking. And then, with the addition of all the money that went into Epcot and Tokyo, just the company by, the, by around 82 was in deep, deep trouble. And they were had hostile takeover bids happening and... Finally, they got rid of him unceremoniously. They ousted him. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. the, the main person behind that was Ron or uh, Roy Disney's son, Roy Disney Jr. He was sort of the one who pushed him out and brought in Eisner and Frank Wells. But the thing about it is he never complained. He never put up a fight. He never spoke to the media about it, mm -hmm. ever. He died, he took those feelings with him to the grave. He only had positive things ever to say about his experience at Disney, the Disney organization. He just wouldn't say anything negative about Disney. He was a class act. Yeah. And you don't find too many executive producers nowadays that have that sort of class. Mm -hmm. um, a dying breed, literally. Yeah. So, when he left Disney, he sort of had already started uh, a, um, a a winery, a vineyard, with his uh, with his wife, and so they sort of focused on on that for several years. So he was really retired and. Just a sort of a pet project they worked on their vineyard in Northern California. Mm -hmm. And then, after a book was written called Hollywood's Dark Prince, which was a tabloid, basically, full of just unproven, un, you know, just a bunch of people were interviewed that had some sort of axe to gripe, gripe with Walt for one reason or another because maybe they were fired from the company so it's just full of all it only tells one side of the story a lot of the facts are not it's basically like a national es, es, national inquirer expose mm -hmm. type and it's full of lies and unfortunately a lot of people read this book and took it as gospel mm -hmm. and this really really bothered Diane to the point where she made it her life's goal from that point on to really let people know who her father was. She created a documentary about him called Walt the Myth. What's it called? The Man Behind the Myth. The Man Behind the Myth. She um, commissioned the Walt Disney Concert Hall. Along with her mother. Along with her mother Lillian. And he was kind of behind the scenes helping with all these things. Ron Miller, again, he was perfectly content to be 
you know, the silent partner, but he was mm-hmm. definitely involved, heavily involved in all of these projects yeah. alongside his wife. And the biggie uh, was the Walt Disney Family Museum, mm-hmm. which he was a pivotal player in seeing mm-hmm. that become a reality. And all of these projects were as a result of that book, Hollywood's Dark Prince. And thank God, because people, once in a while, I'll turn on a YouTube video, which will say Walt Disney was an anti-Semite, which is hogwash. Because people don't research. They don't, they read one book and they decide they know everything. So anyway, she did more to turn the tide on that opinion than anybody else possibly could. And I think successfully, because a lot of that stuff has been sort of shut out those 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 things that have been disproven of and so the public discourse is much more positive again towards Walt than it was during that earlier dark prince era and Roy had a lot to do with that as well yeah I know like now if you want to find proof that Walt Disney was not anti-semitic you will be able to find it very easily on the internet Yes. There's proof right there. He was not. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, Diane died very unexpectedly in a freak falling accident. What year was that? 2013? 2013. Right. So he was widowed. Um, I think that if he hadn't have been widowed, he may have held on longer. Mm-hmm. That really takes a toll on someone. Mm -hmm. when that happens he was at the 60th anniversary of Disneyland on July 17th 1960 Um, he occasionally would make public appearances for different Disney events over the years I know that when he was still uh, CEO he was involved in the grand opening ceremonies of the new Fantasyland in 1983. Mm-hmm. I have some mm-hmm. video footage of him reading the dedication for the new Fantasyland, which was basically he reread Walt's original dedication. And they sort mm-hmm. of replicated that whole ceremony with the lowering of the drawbridge and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he remained a public figure to an extent when when his when his services were called upon he would Mm -hmm. show up so that is our little brief history of ron miller any final thoughts um well i I think it was interesting that they um him and diane actually had seven children Mm -hmm. and and so he had 13 grandchildren and four great-grandchildren. So he is survived by a large family, which mm-hmm. I'm sure they're going to continue to, you know, let, um, allow his legacy to live on. But um, there And to is make a quote, sure that, like, the family museum and the right. Walt Disney Concert Hall all continue on. and Yeah. Yeah. That, that's but, definitely in good hands. Yeah. Um, I did want to... Um, Bob Iger um, gave a quote. Um, about this news and I wanted to read that there and we can just end on that but um, everyone at the Walt Disney Company is deeply saddened by the passing of Ron Miller Disney's current chairman and CEO Bob Iger said his life and legacy are intrinsically linked with our company and the Disney family because he was such a vital part of both as our CEO and Walt's son-in-law 
Few people had Ron's understanding of our history or a deeper appreciation and respect for our company. And he shared it generously with anyone who wanted to know more. I was fortunate to have known him and even luckier to have called him a friend. My thoughts and prayers are with his family. Oh, well, on a less serious note. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to get into some controversial topics. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just hope that we don't have to lead off our next episode with an obituary <laughs> because yes. I'm getting tired of it. I know. No more people are allowed we to cannot, die. We cannot lose any more <laughs> Disney people. Yes. No. Well, anyway... Now we're going to talk about popcorn buckets <laughs> and the controversy that has stirred around these popcorn buckets because, and other things, other park exclusive merchandise, because people, and this has been going on for years, and I'm glad, I'm actually glad that Disney is finally cracking down on this because it's outrageous. People who are annual pass holders when they find out something new is going to be launched that day they'll get to the park the moment it opens and they'll go in and they'll buy 12 dozen they'll sell out because they bought all of these and they walk away with all this merchandise that you're supposed to only be able to buy in the park and then they would go on ebay and resell it at an outrageous price and oh yeah and it's like gorge people margin yeah yeah if not more yeah and absolutely unfair um people who can't get to disneyland like me they if they want this merchandise that was the only way they could get it i feel disney should just make it available to people who can call on and order it from them i don't understand mm -hmm. why they can't do that i mean enough people go to the park they don't need the merchandise to convince people to go right that's they, not why they're going right I mean, some people maybe but the well, annual of pass holders will go to buy 20 of them and resell right. them <laughs> but so anyway what's what's what they've started doing is cracking down on this by having it so that if they catch anyone doing this they remove they they take away their annual pass yeah. which was which is a hundred percent within their rights because it says so on the contract yeah that they're not allowed to be doing that they're not allowed to profit from their annual pass basically and reselling this merchandise is making a profit of, uh, out of the fact they can go to Disneyland anytime they want to and buy it the moment it it's released. I think Disney should also stop telling people. Stop publicizing the day and time yeah. it's going to be released. That way it'll give people just a chance, a fighting chance. It's just the average guest who just wants to buy one uh, Yeti uh, pop. What do you call yeah. those? Um, Funko Pop. Funkos. Yeah. If somebody wants to just have one Yeti Funko Pop, they and they're in the park and they see one, they can buy one instead of right. like them getting sold out immediately and being sold on eBay and they run out of stock. And then when they restock them, they just sit there on the shelf because the excitement has gone. You right. Know? 
Well, it's like a double-edged sword for them because, yeah, they want to advertise that, oh, this new exclusive item is going to be available at the parks, but then it becomes this, you know, mad rush of people trying to buy it so that they can resell it on eBay and stuff. So, what so. sort of sucks is people who would do the reselling on eBay is one problem, but another type of person would just do it as a favor and it would mm -hmm. be like, they, well, basically they gave it two terms here. We've got flippers who are what I just described. And then we have personal shoppers. They're a different breed. And I don't right. really have a problem with the personal right. shopper thing because that's someone who would get something for someone like me that can't go to Disneyland because I live right. 3,000 miles away and I have a disability I have several disabilities and I can't really afford I'm on you know I I don't have that kind of money to go to Disneyland anymore unfortunately right. so if I want the Hatbox Ghost Funko mm -hmm. I could contact one of these personal shoppers and for a small fee right. a reasonable fee they would go get me one item and ship it to me. Right. And they would just make a small profit. They wouldn't price gouge. Right. And if you ha if you know personal shoppers, and the way to find out about them is just through word of mouth and just if you're a Disney person and you communicate with other Disney people, they'll say, oh, Sherry does this, so why don't you mm -hmm. contact Sherry? I don't know anybody named Sherry. I'm, that's just mm -hmm. a random name so don't look <laughs> yeah. for sherry because she'll probably get annoyed if <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you talking about anyway these people are also getting their annual passes taken away i don't think that's fair yeah. because they're not doing as they're not doing really any harm in my right. mind but mm -hmm. disney isn't isn't differentiating between the two which is their right and I don't blame them because they've been a, they've been taken advantage of in this way for quite some time, and it's to the guests' detriment. I mean, it's 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 ruining the guest experience because they can't just buy one souvenir. The average guest they they get sold out, and it's just it's become a problem. Mm -hmm. One of the big things, one of the big items that really irked disney and this nerved them this is probably them. the one that really pushed this, this is the issue. one that put it over the edge was this yeah. hat box ghost tiki mug which i would love to have that's cool i know it's so i would beautiful. love to have yeah. that but i mean this sold out within minutes and mm -hmm. it was all over ebay at a ridiculous price how much were they going for like 200 dollars yeah, or something something like that I mean, and, the tiki mugs are always a big, a hot seller, a quick yeah, item. Yeah, but this people... one had, yeah. the, they're, they're, they combined two fan bases into one. You got the right. tiki fans, because you got them, and then you got the, the, the Haunted Mansion fans. And mm -hmm. they're not always the same fans. So now you right. got fans from two different divisions of Disney fandom both wanting the same thing because mm -hmm. it covers both areas so this was a big problem you're lucky if you got one of these i know for right? less at, than at retail price at re yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so now like disney is finally revoking people's annual passes and i've seen some stories 
on Facebook where people will go to go to the park and just, you know, show their pass like they normally would, and they're not being let in because their annual pass is now canceled. Yeah, because they got caught. Yeah, yeah, and that's how they're finding out that their pass is canceled. Right. And Disney doesn't have to tell them. Right. So these are I all mean, terms of being an annual pass holder. It's all holder. terms of you service. you got to read the fine print. Exactly. Disney's mm-hmm. perfectly within their legal right to do this without giving you a refund. Mm-hmm. And the one thing they're doing, which they do not have to do, is they will allow you to renew your pass in a year. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not banning you for life. And if you want to pay to get in as a regular customer, you can do that, too. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to buy a ticket for one day, a one-day hop or whatever, you can do yeah. that. But you can't use your annual pass. Sorry. Right, right. No soup for you. Yeah. And the other <laughs> thing that Disney's doing is, if you are an annual pass holder, they're limiting the I- amount of items that you can purchase now. So, usually now, it's yeah. one item per pass holder. So, like, right. usually you have a family, you have a mother, father, and then the kids. So, mm-hmm. one pass holder each can buy one of, can of get these three. items. Three popcorn So the mother buckets, can, the daughter 20. can, the husband, all of that. One thing that's fun that they brought back, which is sort of like nice to make up for this, is they brought back, because they had done this before, but they have like refills for the popcorn. And mm-hmm. you pay less, like you still have to pay, but it's like, Oh, yeah, it's a lot less expensive. So once you buy the popcorn bucket, you can refill it real cheap. They were doing that at Disney World when I went. I bought a popcorn bucket, one, one and yeah. the whole time I was there, I was able to refill it. And mm-hmm. every day, like, I just brought it with me when I went to the parks. It didn't matter what park. And I, if I wanted a cheap snack, I could mm-hmm. just fill it up for, like, a dollar. And it was a yeah. huge bucket. Yeah. It wasn't one of the fancy ones. It was just a mm-hmm. plain round bucket with Disney characters on it. But still, it was a really good deal. And they brought yeah. that back, so that's good. I guess they were doing it at Disney World still, but not Disneyland. But now they're doing it at Disneyland, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of revoking things, <laughs> Disney has uh, gotten wise to another uh practice of people taking advantage and this is the other story is pretty much more about disneyland that that was happening Mm -hmm. to a degree in disney world also but the annual pass holder thing is not a big thing in florida where it is in california but this story we're going to talk about now is much more in fact it really is only about florida because what people were doing is I know, it's kind of crazy to it's, think. It's silly. It's yeah. silly. They were reserving a room in a Disney resort so that they could get the 60-day out booking of um, Fast Passes. Because if you are staying at, on a Disney property, you can book your Fast Passes exactly 60 days from your check-in. If you're not, I think it's like two weeks before. It's 30 days. It's 30 days? 30 so days, you, yeah. you're at a real advantage if you're staying on Disney property at getting those hard-to-get fast passes. Mm-hmm. And so what people were doing is they were booking and then right and, and scheduling their fast passes. And then right before 
their deposit was going to turn into a non-refundable deposit. Like the day before, they would cancel their reservation for the hotel, but keep their fast pass reservations. That's pretty ingenious. <laughs> Why didn't I figure that? out that this, this is going to work? Well, I would think I would I would have assumed that they would have canceled your fast right. passes. Exactly. That was sort Everything of a dumb move on, on Disney's part. Should be canceled. Yeah, but apparently they weren't for yeah, a long time. So they've only just started doing this, which is ridiculous. They should have been doing this all along. Right. If you cancel your room, then your fast passes get canceled because that comes with your room. Right. You're welcome to reschedule your fast passes, but you have to wait in line like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, if you thought of cheating the system, Disney right. is not putting up with it anymore, and good for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is ridiculous. Because, like, like I said, I think they should. This out. Okay, listen. If I were in charge, if I were Ron Miller <laughs> or Bob Iger. I would completely eliminate the whole fast pass thing. It's ridiculous. It's a fiasco. It's not. It's just so stupid. I hated it. The whole time I was in Disney World, I absolutely hated it. It was the first time I ever had to deal with fast pass. It was the last time I had gone to a park. It had. It didn't even exist. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it made the lines twice, three times as long. It didn't mm-hmm. save me any time at all. It just made me really angry and frustrated. When at, when I was going to Disneyland before that, even though Pirates of the Caribbean went way out into where the Rivers of America is, I'm talking Disneyland here, it would take me 15 minutes to get on the ride because it moved so fast. But when they add Fast Pass, when it's out to the Rivers of America, it takes an hour. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I was so used to the old way and looking at a line and saying, oh, well, this is Pirates of the Caribbean. I'll right. get on this right away. And then being in that line for an hour, especially when at the Disney World, you're in that cave. And I sometimes get a little claustrophobic and I was getting really, I was almost had to leave. I was really thinking about getting out of the line because I was getting a little, you know, creeped out about mm-hmm. being confined like that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I hate fast pass. Just get rid yeah. of it. It's it maybe keep it in the the way they do it in Disneyland, the legacy, you know, the paper, you have to be there that day to get it, but this whole booking in advance hogwash. Yeah. You can I don't have like it. that because it's like 60 days before your trip, you have to decide what ride you're going to go yeah, on. Yeah, you have to decide what at. show, what yeah. time you're going to eat, what restaurant you're going to be at at this time. Like, I mean, when I go to the park, I just want to, like, do what I feel like right. doing at that moment. That I don't want to plan yeah, out exactly. everything. So I mean, it takes away any spontaneity, and it also adds a level of competitiveness. And it also adds frustration, and yeah. it doesn't save anybody any time. Mm-hmm. The first fast pass was dining reservations, believe it or not. Before it became the fiasco, that's another fiasco, is these mm-hmm. advanced dining reservation business. Yeah. In the old days, 
what you would do is, and for this I agree with the fast pass. Th this was really the the birth of the fast pass. You'd have to go to the park, be in the park, and outside of every sit-down restaurant, they would have a podium with a human being standing behind the podium, and you would stand in a very short line and walk up and tell them what time you want to eat that day. They would give you a little card with your time on it, and you could go on your merry way and then come back and your table was waiting for you. Mm -hmm. And that's really what Fast Pass is. Only they did it for restaurants. And that was like prevented people from not being able to eat at a restaurant because you had to be there to make the reservation. And it, it was just so much better. Right. That's and it how also the, helped them fill the tables. Yeah. So, I mean, I, then they did this ADR business. And the reason they started that was because they wanted to keep people from going off property. Mm -hmm. And then it just became a whole monster. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's move on to some happier news. <laughs> <laughs> so we are proud to announce that World of Color is finally returning. I don't know what was going on. Oh, it's been some for a long time. Technical issues that they were having. Mm -hmm. It's going to return in just a few days, February 22nd. Um, gosh, when did it... it was it's been closed almost a year, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it has been and almost it, a year. And it was some sort of a problem that they had to completely redo all of the wiring or something. Well, I think I I think they were just closing it so that they could do a lot of the Pixar stuff in California Adventure. And I don't know if this is true, but I heard that like one of the water features and something got damaged. Oh yeah, and I think so I heard that too. So it ended up keeping it closed longer because it took longer for them to fix. Right, exactly. So the first day will be February 22nd, and this is going to be considered a soft opening. Mm -hmm. um, and the soft openings will take place through February 28th, and the official return date is March 1st. Yeah. And the dessert party reservations, which get you sort of a better seat, and you get a platter of cheeses and grapes and little goodies along with it. I think it's overpriced, but if you really want to, if you've never seen the show before, like I would do it once because mm -hmm. if yeah. I went to California Adventure, I think I might consider it because I've never seen World of Color and I would want a good seat for my first time seeing it. But after that, I would never pay extra for a seat mm -hmm. and I don't think Disney should even be doing that but you have to you can't if you can't fight the system you have to join the system right right so, <laughs> <laughs> so they're already taking reservations for the dessert party and they're booking it for the soft openings which seems mm -hmm. odd if they're calling it a soft opening then I don't I don't understand the soft opening yeah, phenomenon. I don't understand either. It either is open or it isn't open. Yeah. <laughs> if it was a soft opening to me, it sounds like what they should be doing is just handing out fast passes to people that day. Yeah. Because it's soft opening. Make it something like... might go wrong. So why make them pay for a dessert party if something goes wrong? Exactly, exactly. So if that's what they mean, if they mean dress rehearsal by soft opening, yeah. then they shouldn't be 
charging people for that. They I should wait until... Wait a week. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now, another thing happening at California Adventure, and we know very little details about, but it sounds sort of exciting, is this summer... Is it this summer? Yeah, there, this yeah summer. it's this summer. As part of the, the uh, debut of the live-action, quote-unquote, live-action <laughs> Lion King, which is going to have absolutely no... Nothing but animation, but they're calling it live action. Um, the uh, Celebrate the Lion King event will be taking place at California Adventure. We have no pictures of what it's going to be. Um, and we only have a few little blurbs that Disney put out about it. It doesn't really give too much information, but from what it says, I can sort of picture it a little bit. It says that... Um, it's going to be a vibrant celebration inspired by Disney's The Lion King. So I'm assuming by that it's going to have some sort of an African motif. Mm -hmm. um, throughout the day, a traveling troupe of storytellers will arrive to celebrate The Lion King in story, song, and dance. To me, that sounds sort of like a street party style yeah. parade. Mm -hmm. Where it they kind of... And I'm seeing like in my mind people on stilts. Mm. And like big like costumes like from the Lion King Broadway show. Mm -hmm. It's kind oh, of what I'm awesome. picturing. And then they just kind of stop along the parade route and do something. And they're going to do songs and dance, inviting everybody to join in, yada yada. And that's pretty much all they've said. But I have a feeling there's going to be a little bit more involved than just that. Yeah. Now, I remember in the... Uh, 90s when the original Lion King out King came out they did a lot of things in the parks one of them was this terrific parade called mm -hmm. um oh, what was it called the Lion King cavalcade or something like that and they had a um basically a whole parade down main street with the Lion King theme and it had um audio animatronic versions of some of the four-legged characters that were kind of difficult to do as walk-around characters. Of course, Pomone and, and Timon and Pumbaa were walk-around in the parade, but like mm -hmm. the actual lion was up on a rock and it was it wasn't audio animatronic. I think there was someone inside mm. the float with moving it around. Mm -hmm. But it looked audio animatronic because it moved. It did, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they had other animals like that, and they had these really cool elephants that walked around, you know, with someone in the front and someone in the back, but it was designed better than the old school versions of those horse costumes. It looked convincing, mm -hmm. the, way, the way the muscle structure was designed and everything. So I'm picturing that, and then I know they had a stage show that I saw several times because it was there when I worked at, at uh, Disney World. It was called the Festival of the Lion King, I think, and it was a stage show where where Magic is now in the Magic Kingdom, and it was kind of a puppet show where they had all the characters going around the stage as puppets, and they had people underneath moving them around. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. So I remember the Lion King was a big deal when it came out. Yeah, like, it was. The parks was. were really influenced by it. And to this day, they still have that Lion King show at Animal Kingdom, which yep. definitely is a is the grandfather 
to um, that Lion King parade. When I saw it, it reminded me so much of the parade. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think some of the, the 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 things they use in that show were originally used in the parade, if I'm not mistaken. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah, and when we find summer. out more details, we'll we'll tell you report guys about more them. when we find out, and we'll share pictures when there are pictures. Now, it's not any concept art or anything. I looked everywhere, and I couldn't find anything. So, our, we we have some rapid fire stories at the end of this episode, but our last main story is fun and positive. <laughs> we try to end things on a happy note here. Yeah. Get the the sad and annoying stuff. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> out of the way um so tangaroa terrace which has been at the disneyland hotel for several years now it recently closed and ha- had a major refurbishment and it serves this it's the same type of restaurant and the inside has changed only a little bit we'll show you a little bit of some of the new fun details on the inside but really the main change is the outdoor patio area because now they have actually a little bar area and a window where you can order food from outside the restaurant and it's turned into less of a sit-down place and more of a grab-and-go type place Mm-hmm. Um, it, it still can be utilized. It's it's multifunctional, really. You can use it as an outdoor little snack bar. You can use it as a grab-and-go because they've got grab-and-go stuff inside. Or you can order your food and sit down and eat it in the dining area. So it gives you all these different options, which I think is fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is the new bar area you're looking at. And then on the inside, like I said, it hasn't changed very much. This basically, this is where you order your food if you're going to dine in. And it's, it hasn't changed much there. But next to it, nearby, they have a whole grab-and-go station with all sorts of goodies. Chips and bananas and M&Ms, I see. What else do you see? <laughs> I know muffins. they have like, some healthy snacks there too. Yeah, granola bars and yeah. all that kind Coffee, of goodies. Coffee, Dole Whip, Coffee. all of this, the fun stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you can also get, you know, hot dishes and regular food. And here's... Mm-hmm. Okay, now before I bring up this image, make sure you're sitting down <laughs> and get ready for your mouth to water, everybody. Uh, yeah. So these are some of the... Uh, dishes available um both hot and cold they have a, a big breakfast menu now including tongaroa toast also known in florida as tonga toast which is basically like a hawaiian version of french toast with I bananas that on it. right there that That's square where yeah the second row down next to the pancakes mm-hmm. um Definitely, if I was there, I'd be ordering that Hawaiian burger. I love Hawaiian burgers. I just have a pineapple thing. Like, I anything with pineapple. I even, I'm guilty of being one of those people who loves pineapple pizza. Yes. I love pineapple, too. I am right there with you. (laughs) Just so you know, the picture to the left of the Tongaro Toast, those pancakes, 
Those are pineapple upside down pancakes. Oh my gosh. So I would be I all know over that. that. Oh, me too. I'd be torn. <laughs> I might have to order both. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So they've also got a great kids menu. The four pictures above the Dole Whip are the kids menu items. They've got some salads. I mean, I could just eat there forever. Yeah. And I can have, have a Dole so Whip float them. while I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this Sign is just me a, up. a touch of their menu. Yeah. These pictures. Yeah. So the interior dining area has changed a little bit. They have a new mural. You can see it on the right there. I have some closer pictures of it. But what's fun about this mural is it's sort of a Where's Waldo? Because they have within it hidden different characters from the Enchanted Tiki Room. And they're sort of camouflaged in within it. And if you look at it, you can spot some of them. Here's another uh, look at it from another angle. And then here's uh, a closer. And you can see one of the uh, tiki birds on the right-hand side there. Sort of hidden. Looks kind of, if you're not really looking, you might miss it. So there's several of those all hidden within the mural. So that's fun. And there's also a terrific view of the uh, outdoor pool area. It's just a really charming place. I would yeah. definitely want to check it out if I went to, to Disneyland again. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And the, the thing about this is, so the Disneyland Hotel is kind of like a mid-century modern theme. So right. the Tiki fits right in because tiki was very popular back in the mid-century modern era which is like right. the late 50s and 60s and they also so, have a whole tower that's called the adventure land tower so it sort of right. ties into that as well right just in case you were wondering why they have this tiki themed restaurant at the outside disneyland hotel. of disneyland yeah at the hotel yeah, yeah right they have the the Trader Sam's there too, the Tiki Bar mm -hmm. right, right next door to this. Yeah. So now we have a few rapid fire stories to end out the show. And the first one we want to talk about involves bags. It's very <laughs> exciting. Are you ready for this one? Do it. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta set this up. It's very complicated here. <laughs> There's a lot involved in these bags. <laughs> <laughs> It, folks reusable <laughs> bags we should have let off with that story i know right <laughs> <laughs> ron miller could have been the second story <laughs> so uh yes folks disney is now offering optionally the uh use of recyclable bags well reusable bags 
made from 70% recycled materials. And um, now see, if it were me, I wouldn't want, I would want this bag for use outside of the park. <laughs> and they're really inexpensive. I think yeah, the, they are. the large one is only 250. So I would buy that and use it to like go to the laundromat, carry oh, yeah. my soap in it, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, cause you know, I don't have a car. So I have, I have my little cart that I roll to the laundromat. So I would love to have a little bag like that to put my softener sheets in. <laughs> mm -hmm. But anyway, I mean, I'd buy them just for that, just to have it for home. Right. But, yeah. um, yeah, I I think this is terrific. I support it. They're cute. They're well designed. Um, and you know, plastic bags are destroying our oceans and killing animals that are endangered. And it's something we really need to think about. And we need to really stop mm -hmm. the use of these bags. I mean, the materials they use to create these bags will be here in 10,000 years. Ugh, yeah. They don't decompose. And mm -hmm. there's going to be a point where there's going to be more. Have you? I mean, have you seen the beginning of the movie WALL-E? <laughs> That's what the right. world is oh going to be like if we don't change our ways. Mm -hmm. So I support yeah. this. I think it's good. I just hope Disney doesn't decide at some point. I was listening to um, Mouse Rants this morning, Jerry Skid's show. And he was saying how he's afraid that at some point it won't be optional anymore and you'll have to buy a bag. Or what they'll do is if you want to buy a plastic bag, they'll make you pay for that. Mm -hmm. You know, so who knows? But for now, right. I like I like it because it's optional and, you know, they're very reasonably priced. I mean, ex I, unheard of reasonably for Disney. Anything with a right. Mickey on it gets charged double. And right. these cost the same as the ones they sell at, you know, Whole Foods. So mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. Yeah. So one thing about this, they've had reusable bags for a while now. But what this is, is kind of like a expansion of the program. Yeah. So now they used to have only one size. Now, now they, they have, have three, three sizes. And also they have these, a bag for basically every park in, in the United States. Um, yeah, it's all themed to represent. each park, yeah. Correct. And so the, it's not just a bag, it's a souvenir. Yeah, so like, they've I got, you can buy Nature one for each bag. park, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the so, one you're looking at here is the one for downtown Disney. Mm -hmm. And it's like the World of Disney store. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they're really cute. Like, they are really yeah, cute. All are. of them have awesome designs. And yeah. the other thing is, like, this totally makes sense, and I really encourage you guys to buy these bags because they they are very inexpensive. You know, they're not going to be more than five dollars each, and they're you know you can get a really large one and put all your stuff in there because I remember so many times going to the parks and buying a you know something from this store and something from that store, and I literally had like ten bags. I yeah. don't need 10 bags from Disneyland. Yeah, it's so annoying when you go yeah. shopping. Like, if you go to the mall and you need to pick up a few things, and then you get home and you spend, like, an hour yeah. clipping off the tags and uh, taking it out from the packaging, and it's so annoying. 
And it all goes in the trash. It all goes in the so, trash. So, I mean, just definitely, you know, invest in these. And you know what? There's no harm in throwing this in your backpack or you're in your suitcase when you're traveling because yeah. it's flat. So it's not going to add and anything to your suitcase. Ruthie and I were talking about, because um, Ruthie may be going to D23 this year. I'm probably not. But Ruthie is, is it's a good possibility. And... I suggested because we're thinking about making buttons to hand out that say Jiminy Crickets on them to sort of promote our show. And I said to her, why don't you just go into one of the stores while you're there and buy one of these bags and fill it with the buttons. And you can carry it around the convention and just hand out the buttons from the bag. So yeah. that's how we're going to use them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not going to stop there. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, our next story, it's time to play the music, it's time to light the lights, it's time to make things happen at the Muppet Show tonight. Boom, boom, boom. Anyway, did I give <laughs> away what our next topic is? <laughs> so, there is talking going on, probably not just rumor, I think this is, considering who's involved, I think it's probably going to happen. That they're going to bring back the Muppets again. I, I keep trying to bring back the Muppets and it's, it's just not clicking. Mm -hmm. But I think they're doing it the wrong way. And, I, and I'm a little more confident about their plan this time. Mm -hmm. What you're looking at in this picture is a screenshot from The Muppets Take Manhattan. Which was a movie from 1984. At the end of the movie, Kermit... And Miss Piggy actually get married. And then, like, you never hear about it again. Like, they're not married right. now. But yeah. they actually did get married in that movie. And so, what they're talking about is creating a brand new show for Disney+, Plus, which is the online streaming, where it's going to take place in the 80s, right at the end of The Muppets Take Manhattan, which is genius. Because people are nostalgic for the 80s right now. Mm -hmm. And people are nostalgic for the Muppets. And if you put those two together, I think that's a winning combination. I think the problem with their last TV show was they tried to modernize the Muppets. Yeah. Yep. People want classic Muppets in classic situations. In nostalgic situations. And I think this is perfect. So it's not just going to be a show about the lovable Muppets, but it's also going to be a show probably spoofing the 80s, which people love that right now. Mm -hmm. That's that's right. in. That's trending as they say. <laughs> so, I think this will be a, a big deal. I think this will get a lot of people to subscribe to um, Disney Plus. Yeah. I, I mean, hope so. I'm already going to be subscribing. Yeah, me too. Regardless, but yeah. this just gives me even more reason to want to subscribe. So tell us more about this, Ruthie. Like, who's involved and what's what's the ins and outs of this? So last episode, we talked about Josh Gad being involved in the live-action Hunchback. Well, yeah. now he's also involved in this, in the Muppet revival. And right. supposedly he's working with ABC's Once Upon a Time creators... Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz to develop this show and right now the project is called 
or it's, the title of the show is is Muppets Live Another Day. Another Day, yeah. So, and then like Chris said, you know, it's a show that's going to be taking place right after Muppets Take Manhattan, mm-hmm. and the gang has disbanded, which is just basically the the same well, thing. Well, I'm that picturing it. The Muppets. <laughs> yeah, I'm picturing Kermit and Miss Piggy get married, and then everyone goes off on their own little merry way. Yeah. That's how I see it. Until they hear about the mysterious disappearance of Rolf and they all come back <laughs> together that. to find him. I love that. Yeah. I especially <laughs> love that because Rolf is the original Muppet character. He mm. predates Kermit. Mm. So I love that he's the one that is missing. Yeah. He's the original. He's the OG Muppet. <laughs> so so this series is I saw this arrive is in 2020. The, a little off topic, but if you have a chance, go online and look up um, Kermit kills people over coffee. Oh, gosh. There's this series of ads from the 60s, early 60s, where Kermit is sh- killing other Muppets and, and cannons or because they won't drink this particular brand of coffee. I, I can't even remember the brand of coffee. I don't think it exists anymore, but it's just really, really morbid. And I don't, I, I don't understand how that was, like, it doesn't pull off today. Maybe people were a little darker back then. I don't know. You'd think it'd be the opposite. But it yeah. just seemed very dark. But Maybe. if you have a chance, there's, it's about five minutes long, and it shows, like, a whole series of 30-second ads with, Kermit killing people and hmm. things. It's and it's the old original Kermit, which is creepy looking, also. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, that's not like him at all. Anyway, I just recently had seen that, so I thought I'd bring it up. <laughs> What's our next quick fire story? So there is rumor that yeah, talks are this underway. This is definitely a rumor, huh? I just want to make sure people understand this is definitely a rumor. Right. We don't have any confirmation yet. Yeah. But there's a rumor that Disney is in talks to do something with Nightmare Before Christmas. So either a sequel or a live action remake. Right. So it's something. It could be either or. So it's still in like the, the thought process basically. What my thinking is, is it's gonna be done in the style of the original stop motion but they're not going to use stop motion they're going to do it with computers Mm -hmm. that's what i'm thinking as a sequel as a sequel or whatever Mm -hmm. um or a prequel or something but i feel like they're gonna they're gonna copy the exact style of the original and try to make it look as if it's stop motion but do it using computer technology instead, which I'm sure is definitely possible to do. And it would be interesting. It's it's probably more cost effective. Uh, And time effective. Yeah. (laughs) I think the first one, what did we say? It took like five years for them to make it. Right. And then they had to have different, you know, models of his head, like with different expressions and they had to change it out. So I feel like they're going to, like, use the technology but dumb it down Mm -hmm. so that it looks a little more jerky and herky-jerky, like, like, so it looks like stop motion even though it isn't. That's my prediction. 
Let's see if that happens. And when yeah. it does or doesn't, you can call me on it. <laughs> I'm fine with them doing something more with this, you know, this product, this, you know, storyline, these yeah. characters. Yeah, but it has too. to be done right. Yes, it has and, to be done and right. I don't want a live action remake of this Absolutely movie. Absolutely do not want a live action. No. And I don't want anything that looks like CGI. Right. That's why I say I, I would be happy with either what I just described or if they did it old school, actual... Right. Um, stop motion. Yeah. Stop motion animation, which mm -hmm. I just don't think they're going to do that. But right. if they do it what the way I described, which I think might be... I mean, it would make sense to me that mm. they would do it that way because that's what people would want to see. And I would be right. okay with it. As long as it looks the same, I would be okay. Right. As long as it looks like the same universe and the same characters and they yeah. move and interact in the same ways, I'm fine. I don't care if it happens through a box or through right. people moving little models around. Yeah, I just and I really like. need to have whatever story they come up with. It has to fit. It has I to be a good story. It has to be. It has to be. It a can't good be another story. cash grab, right, Like other right. sequels have been. So don't touch this unless you're doing it right. Well, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that Tim Burton wouldn't allow it to be touched unless yeah. it was done right. Well, hopefully. Unless he doesn't have any say in it, I and don't know. I kind of feel like I w I really want him involved in some way too. But of course, yeah. this is early talk, so they don't have anybody linked to this project yet. So remember me. <laughs> so our next rapid fire is that they are going to do some sort of a outdoor show with the mariachi band at. Uh, the um epcot and that play in front of the um it was uh mariachi cobre they mm -hmm. play in front of the mexico pavilion at epcot they're going to start doing shows that include a puppet character from coco what's the name of the boy from coco i don't remember miguel miguel as you can see in this picture here that's a little puppet and it's going to be moved around by somebody standing behind like that. And they're going to sort of tell the story of Coco through the mariachi band. And also, I think they're going to have some dancers yeah. moving around. You know, like, um, what do they call them? The Mexican hat dance type dancers in those long, beautiful... Those flowy skirts. Flowy skirts, mm -hmm. yeah. I can picture it. I support it. Yeah, I can picture it. it I too. would enjoy watching that. I remember when I went last year, there the Marriott the the day the day I just happened to go to the Mexico Pavilion, the regular mariachi band was their day off, so they had like the second tier group, which I actually liked better, because I've mentioned before I really love Latin American music. I mean, I, I really love it a lot. I enjoy it. Not modern. I, I can listen to modern mm -hmm. uh, Latin music, but I really love just like classic Latin music. Traditional music. Traditional, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially the music from Brazil. I mm -hmm. love like samba and that type of music. So um, they actually had a samba group. So I was just like, 
I just had to stop there and watch the whole show from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Of course, I had plenty of time. I was there 10 days, so right, I right. Just, like, <laughs> took my time with things, but yeah. yeah. So I really enjoy this type of thing, and I yeah. would definitely be first in line to watch so this one. They already do this at, at California Adventure with this Miguel puppet. Yeah. And this is the thing about Coco. Coco in California is huge because yeah. there is a huge, you know, Hispanic um, community there Mexican in Southern American. California. Yeah. And I have been, you know, the last time I went to Disneyland this past summer, um, watching the fireworks show and they had a little part of Coco and literally like everybody, like it, it's almost like a superstar is there. When, when Coco pops up, everybody yeah, freaks out. Everyone they goes love crazy. It. Yeah. And I, I mean, this, this movie definitely needs all the praise it deserves and all the, the love that people give it because it's amazing. And I hope yeah. that Epcot will give the same honor to it. And when I see it, I'm sure I'll love it too. It. You will. You will. And no question, hands <laughs> down, you'll love it. Um, I just want Florida and, you know, the people that go to Walt Disney World to start getting more exposure to Coco and be, and loving it as much as, they you know, the had, people in California do. They already had some stuff going on in the Mexico. They yeah. had a whole, dis- you know, when you first walk in, they yeah, have that I know little they museum had, like, a little area. Yeah. yeah. But this yeah. is different. This is a show. Also, you know, maybe they're, you know, kind of testing the waters to see, you know, if they can change the attraction there at the Mexico Pavilion. So... You know, we'll see. We'll see what I'm happens. afraid that they're not going to be able to. And it's not because of lack of popularity. It's because of popularity. That that The way that that ride is situated, where it's located, if it had, like, Frozen Ever After lines, mm-hmm. it would be insane in that building. Well, I, just, I think they'd have to there's do gotta something. There's got to be something that they can do. They'd have to, they'd have to build another building more building behind they'd have to build a new structure for it they, they couldn't do it the way it is now yeah there's no way that would work well we have one final rapid fire story this is a good story to Well, in case you weren't aware, Kevin has been spotted in Animal <laughs> Kingdom. Kevin, if you don't know, is a Pixar character from one of my favorite, if not my favorite, I think it is my favorite Pixar movie, Up. And Kevin is one of the reasons it's my favorite movie. I love Kevin. <laughs> and the reason he's Kevin is because the little boy in the movie just names him randomly Kevin because he doesn't have another name to call him. And he's like a rare, almost, like he's an exti- almost near extinction dodo bird mm-hmm. that the villain in the movie is trying to capture. And they end up, 
He's actually the baby, isn't he? Or no, Kevin no. is the mother. Kevin's the mother, yeah. So, so it's it turns a woman out woman named Kevin. Yeah. Kevin he is not a he. And, it's a and she. she's <laughs> trying to get back to her baby, so they help mm -hmm. her come back to her baby. It's really really kind of sad and you know that, that what happens but it has a happy ending so yeah that's good yeah. so the um animal kingdom has a walk around version of kevin greeting guests i approve of this do you approve yes of this? i think this is so cute this, this is, is awesome perfect for animal i would kingdom love to do too. this yeah i would definitely i'm not a want. big like animal like or not animal, character um, greeter, meet and greet kind of person. I don't really feel like I want to spend a lot of time doing that at the park. But this one, I'd make an exception. This is crazy and cool. I love it. Okay, well, this is my feeling on that. Like, I did get a fast pass to get a picture with Mickey just because you got to get a picture with Mickey, especially mm -hmm. I hadn't been to the park in 10 years. I needed to get a picture with Mickey. Um, but I wouldn't have waited for an hour. I had mm -hmm. a fast pass. I waited like 10 minutes. Um, but I planned that out specifically. But if I just stumbled upon a character and I didn't have to wait in line, I would be all about it. Oh, yeah. It's the line waiting mm -hmm. that it's turned into that I don't want to waste my time. But, I mean, I love to take pictures and be around the characters. I just can't. And I also feel like if I'm by myself, and a lot of the times just because my family has never been into Disney like me and I've gone to the parks alone a lot of a lot of my life so it's a little embarrassing to do that when you're by yourself especially <laughs> yeah. if you're an adult male yeah you, and like if it's a princess like you don't want to be standing in line to yeah. see <laughs> Belle if you know the people All might think yourself. there's something yeah. wrong with you or anyway I get a little self-conscious. I know I shouldn't be. I shouldn't care what other people think, but I am human, so I do care sure. what other people think, even though I don't want to. It's just the way I am. And anyway, for Kevin, I would wait, probably wait yeah. a half hour, yeah. which is a lot for me. Yeah, that is a lot. Um, I would cool. prefer him really to... Cool it seems from the video, though, that he's just walking around. There's no yeah. line. Mm -hmm. which is even better well hopefully because they don't really do that a lot at walt disney world like they do at disneyland i think it's probably so, easier to do it at animal kingdom just because of the way mm -hmm. it's yeah. situated it's more of there's a lot more space and walking around than in the other parks yeah that's so, true the yeah. other cool thing about this is they have released a adorable plush of kevin yes. so i would definitely be buying that yeah yeah, it 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 looks like they they caught they on character they say they caught the essence pretty well yes. with the plush. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that's our show. We ran a little long because we had a lot to say about Ron Miller. Hopefully, when we come back in two weeks, we won't have to be giving a life story of somebody who just passed away. Yeah. we don't want to. <laughs> no. No. It's not fun. So we're just going to put it out there now. We're not going to be doing anymore. <laughs> nobody involved with Disney is allowed to die. Right. Ever exactly. again. Because we said so. Yes. <laughs> Everyone who's ever worked for Disney, including me, because I've worked for Disney, is allowed to die. 
<laughs> so, Ruthie, where can everybody find us on the WWW? <laughs> all right. You can find all of our past shows, including audio versions of Dateline Jiminy Crickets, on our website, jcricketpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also listen to us on iTunes under the name Jiminy Crickets. That's with an exclamation point. And be sure to leave us a five-star review. On our YouTube channel, we share updates to the Disney Chris website, including the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour, as well as past episodes of the Jiminy Crickets podcast and Dateline Jiminy Crickets. You can find our channel if you search for DisneyChris.com. And remember, .com is spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. You can also join in the conversation over on our Facebook page, Jiminy Crickets Podcast, where you can not only interact with Chris and me and all the fellow cricketeers, but you can also stay up to date with all the latest details of our many worldwide web endeavors. If you would like to contact the show with any questions or comments, our email address is disneychrisdotcom at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. On Twitter... I'm at DisneyChris73, and both Ruthie and I can be found on Facebook. Ruthie is Ruthie Brown, that's spelled (laughs) B-R-O-W-N, as in Charlie Brown. There you go. (laughs) And (laughs) I'm Chris Linden on Facebook, that's spelled L-Y-N-D-O-N, as in Lyndon Johnson, the president. Uh, My website is disneychris.com on my website you'll find a daily disney song of the day plus the disneyland magical audio tour and today i just added my 1652nd audio track to the disneyland magical audio tour it's a growing collection so be sure to check out my website and check out my audio tour of the original Magic Kingdom Disneyland. Now, if you would like to support our magical endeavors, you can do so by becoming a Patreon subscriber, and you'll find our Patreon at patreon.com slash DisneyChris, and for as little as $1 a month, we will offer you a monthly package of free Disney audio materials. So consider that. And we're also in talks of offering even more uh, special uh, offerings to our Patreon subscribers. So stay tuned in the next few weeks for some new announcements regarding that. We're going to be making some major changes and giving a lot more uh fun surprises to those who help support our podcast and my website um if you do not feel comfortable with patreon you can also donate by using um paypal and to get to my paypal you can just go to disneychris.com which is my website slash donate html that'll bring you to a page with with all the different options for supporting our show 
And you are able to do a monthly subscription through PayPal, just like you do with Patreon. And uh, if you do that, you are equally as eligible for all of the things that we give away as you are if you subscribe through Patreon. So either, either way, you get the same special gifts. Thank you, gifts. So, Ruthie, do you have any uh, final words for today? I hope everybody feels loved and has a happy Valentine's Day. Well, for those of us who are single, do something for yourself to make sure you love yourself. And um, eat an extra piece of chocolate cake or something like that. Indulge. (laughs) It's just one day a year. I know they say that. And then there's Christmas and Halloween and Easter and your birthday. (laughs) It's only 15 days a year. Right. So, Eddie, what's your final, final words for this week, Ruthie? To quote Walt Disney, laughter is timeless. Imagination has no age. Dreams are forever. And always let your conscience be your guide. Now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. M-I-C. See you real soon. K-E-Y. Why? Because we like you. M-I-C.